to you. And so your worship this morning, you're actually lifting your voice, your song, the focus of your minds, the, the posture of your body should be in response to what the Father has done for you. We set aside this time so that uh, we, we want to bring clarity, not to music. We don't want to bring clarity, not to, uh, uh, not to the aesthetics of a room. We want to bring clarity to what God has done for you so that you can respond to the Father. All right, so I want to encourage you this morning to, to respond by lifting your voice, to, to respond by focusing your mind uh, on what God has done uh, for you as, uh, as the team leads us. All right, why don't we stand up? Um, we are all in this together, so we need you guys to sing out as much as we sing. So let's uh, lift our voices to God.
Joyful music. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. Hi, my name is Jocelyn, and I'm going to be doing the reading today. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And since, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.
Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to history about the next song we're going to sing. In 1847, a French poet was asked by a priest at his local parish to write a poem for Christmas Mass. He wasn't a very faithful churchgoer, but they knew this man was a fantastic writer. He was honored to share his talents, so he decided to write it. He used the Gospel of Luke as his guide and tried to imagine himself at the birth of Jesus. He wrote the entire poem on a carriage ride from his hometown to Paris, the capital. He decided to hand it over to a good friend after he had written it, who was a composer, also the son of a well-known composer. He did not believe that the words to this poem were true. In fact, this Christmas day that everyone was talking about was a day that he did not celebrate. But he decided to compose the music anyway. The priest was very pleased and the beautiful piece, Cantique de Noël, 
was performed three weeks later at Christmas Mass. The song became very popular, being played in many churches in France. And when they found out that the poet walked away from the church and the composer was a known Jew, they denounced the song from all churches. The heads of the French Catholic Church decided this song was unfit for church, <clears throat> decided the song was unfit for church services because of its lack of musical taste and total absence of the spirit of religion. Yet even as the church tried to bury it, the French people still continued to sing it. 10 years later, an American found this beautiful piece of music and brought it to America. Since then, it has become one of the most popular Christmas songs ever written. The words of this song speak about the redeeming power of the birth of Jesus. This world was longing for a king, longing for hope. In the song, it says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That night when Jesus was born, the weary world rejoiced. Let's sing this song, but I invite you as that poet did in 1847, imagine yourself at the birth of Jesus. That new hope that they experienced is the same hope we have today. A king has come. Oh. 
That language might not be familiar to us, but that truth is very familiar to us. That long lay not just the world, but long lay our hearts in sin and error. God, the, the brokenness of the world is not just out there. The brokenness of the world is in here in us. So long lay our hearts in sin and error, pining, longing, hoping for you to appear. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appears. And at your appearing, our souls feel their worth. Jesus, you, when you show up, you let us know who we really are. When you show up, you demonstrate that, that, that the treasure of heaven is the glory and fame of God revealed in us. And we get a glimpse of our soul's worth. No wonder the previous song we sang was, 
rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel is here. The, the, the word rejoice is not uh, a word of, of request. The word rejoice is a word of declaration because Jesus shows up, we are to rejoice and we are to declare rejoicing because there is one who has come that can rescue us from sin and error. So Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for Abby and for Ryan and for them leading us into such precious truth. I thank you, Father, for, for revealing your son Jesus to us so that we have something to rejoice about. We have someone to rejoice in. Thank you for revealing your son so that our souls feel their worth. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you, Spirit, for making him known. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. I was looking forward to being here this morning. I don't know if you have that sense at times of, like, I just want to be with God's people. I just want to be with God's people in God's house. I just want to be with God's people in God's house declaring his truth. And so uh, I just, I love being with you all. I'm so appreciative of the, of the careful leadership uh, this morning. A couple things I want to make you aware of to turn your attention to uh, as we think about the, the Christmas season and then moving into next year. Uh, one of the things that we want to do is we want to, uh, we, we, we're recipients of, of the, the best news that there is, and so we want to make sure that we make this good news uh, available to others. So a couple of ways that, uh, that you can do that is next Sunday, uh, so a week from today, December 23rd, that's the Sunday before Christmas, uh, we are going to be having uh, two different parties that'll be happening here on Sunday morning. Uh, so the first one uh, you see is birthday party for Jesus. Uh, so that's for, um, uh, the details are all in your bulletin, but if I understand that, that's zero to five-year-olds uh, invited to the birthday party for Jesus. So have, the, you know, have your kids bring some friends or uh, grandkids, have them bring their friends to, uh, to celebrate the, the birth of Jesus. And then for our first through sixth graders, uh, there is the, the treasure of Christmas. Uh, Angelo and his team have created a, a really cool uh, experience for the first through sixth graders uh, to be in pursuit of the treasure uh, of Jesus. So you're not, you're not going to want to miss that one. Um, so again, there's a, a, this is an opportunity to invite some friends to, to come under the hearing of the good news of, of who Jesus is. Uh, the, other, the other thing I want to make you aware of is we have our Christmas Eve service. Uh, so there'll be two services. The four o'clock uh, service will be at Glasstown Church. So everyone's welcome, whether you attend Glasstown or not, you're welcome to attend the four o'clock service at Glasstown or the five o'clock service, which will be here uh, at Living Faith, all right? So those are two Christmas Eve services uh, that I'm very excited. Again, this is one of those I'm gonna look forward to of just being with God's people, celebrating, uh, celebrating the names of, of this, this Jesus that was born. Uh, I have uh, one other thing to, to share with you. Um, is it's this, it's about the singles event. Those are the established, uh, the established singles. They're gonna be having uh, a game night on December 29th. Uh, so you can plan that uh, into your calendar. Uh, if you're not sure what an established single is, uh, that's fine. You can come ask me. 
uh, or you can show up and find out. Uh, the intent is not to be exclusive, uh, but the intent is to invite people that would want to hang out together. So that's December 29th. That's going to be here uh, at 7 p.m. That would also be a great place to invite some people. Uh, and lastly, um, do we have a slide for Alpha? Starting in, starting in January, uh, we'll be having our Alpha course. This is an excellent place to have conversations uh, about uh, who is Jesus, what does it mean to follow him. So if you have conversations with people or you know some people that they're, they're, they're curious about who God is, this is a great place to invite them. The information is in your bulletin. Also, I would want to just invite any of you who uh, are part of Living Faith Alliance Church that have never been through Alpha, this is a great way to get connected to the church and get to know what the church is about, all right? So if you've never attended the Alpha course, highly recommend it. Uh, it listen, just come to get, have some good food, uh, and then I think you're going to stay for some, some great conversations. So um, I want to make you aware of that. Starts January 17th. Again, all the information in your bulletin or as Chris likes to tell us, on the website uh, at the Information Hub. All right, could I have, uh, could I have the ushers uh, come on up? Uh, if the ushers could make their way up here, and then I'm also gonna dismiss then our treasure seekers. You can make your way back to Mr. Angelo. Parents, if you haven't signed your child in, uh, that's the first through, are we first through fifth or first through sixth? First through sixth. Uh, make your way back to Mr. Angelo. Uh, parents, if you haven't signed your child in, please follow him out, do that, and you can pick your children up in the cafe after the service. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, the, the truth that is uh, just being celebrated about uh, this baby that was born and the truth of, of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And, and I, I love the fact that Jesus is uh, the savior of every aspect of who I am. Uh, so I can come here and I can fix my mind on Jesus. I can, I can think about Jesus. I can plan my schedule where he is worthy of, 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 of commanding my time and my, my hours. And, and he's that kind of king. And he's also worthy of, of, of me offering my financial, uh, the, the things that you've entrusted to me, the finances you've entrusted to me, I can entrust those to him as well. And so, uh, Jesus, I thank you for the giving of this body uh, in worship to you, uh, and we uh, offer these uh, gifts up to you um, as, as a way of declaring uh, just how great you are. So thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.
Good morning. My name is Diego Cuartas, and I am one of the pastors here at Living Faith Alliance Church. And I'm sitting down through this one because I've been under the weather, and so I want to make sure I can do my part. So welcome. Um, we have been, uh, during this Advent season, considering the names of Jesus, particularly the names revealed in the prophecy given in Isaiah 9, verse 6, where we have been told that a child will be born to us and that this child uh, would be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Today, we are going to be focusing on the everlasting father. If you have missed the other two prior to this one, I encourage you to uh, log into our church website and listen to the prior themes. And next week, we will be on uh, the Prince of Peace. We have been talking about those names. Um, but before we move forward to consider the Everlasting Father... I'd like to show you a short video clip uh, so that you can kind of have a GPS or a location concerning the people who heard the prophecy. Who were they and what were their circumstances? So as you look at this video. The first video, main section focuses on Isaiah's vision of judgment and hope for Jerusalem. And it begins as Isaiah accuses the city's leaders of covenant rebellion, idolatry, injustice. And God says he's going to judge the city by sending the nations to conquer Israel. Isaiah says that this will be like a purifying fire that burns away all that's worthless in Israel in order to create a new Jerusalem that's populated by a remnant that has repented and turned back to God. And Isaiah says that that's when God's kingdom will come and all nations will come to the temple in Jerusalem and learn of God's justice, bringing about an age of universal peace and harmony. Now, it's this basic storyline of the old Jerusalem purifying judgment into the new Jerusalem. This is going to get repeated over and over throughout the book, getting filled in with increasing detail. So at the center of this section is Isaiah's grand vision of God sitting on his throne in the temples. And he's surrounded by these heavenly creatures that are shouting that God is holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah suddenly realizes just how corrupt he and his people Israel are. And he's certain that he's going to be destroyed by God's holiness, but he's not. God's holiness, in the form of this burning coal, comes and burns him, but not to destroy. Rather, it purifies him from his sin. And as Isaiah ponders the strange experience, God commissions him with a very difficult task. He is to keep announcing this coming judgment, but because Israel has reached a point of no return, his warnings are going to have a paradoxical effect of hardening the people. But Isaiah is to trust God's plan. Israel is going to be chopped down like a tree and left like a stump in a field. And that stump will itself be scorched and burned. But after all of that burning, God says that this smoldering stump is a holy seed that will survive into the future. It's a small sign of hope, but who or what is that holy seed? The rest of this section offers an answer. Isaiah confronts Ahaz, a descendant of David and a king of Jerusalem, and he announces his downfall. 
God says that it's the great empire of Assyria who will first chop Israel down and devastate the land. But there's hope. Because of God's promise to David, he's going to send after this destruction a new king named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Emmanuel's kingdom is going to set God's people free from violent, oppressive empires. And Isaiah describes this coming king as a small shoot of new growth that will emerge from the old stump of David's family. It's this king that's the holy seed from chapter 6. And the king is going to be empowered by God's spirit to rule over a new Jerusalem and bring justice for the poor. And all nations will look to this messianic king for guidance. His kingdom will transform all creation, bringing peace. The first main... So there you have it. Uh, the people of Israel, uh, they're not having a good day. Pretty obvious, right? They're not having a good day. They are um, hearing the promise of this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace in a time where basically they have taken life into their own hands and have created their own big mess. It is in that setting, in that context, that also uh, God judges Israel and things are not going well for them. I'm sure this was good news in the midst of their circumstances. And I wonder how much of good news would it be for you today given your circumstances, given your own predicaments, to hear that a child is born to us who is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. So I would like to do a pre-sermon survey. Very simple. If you had to leave out one of the four names... Which one would you do away with? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, or prince of peace? Surely it would be nice to have always a wonderful counselor next to you, or a mighty God, or an everlasting father, or even a prince of peace. But if you have to pick three, which one would you Leave out. I'll give you a second to think about that. Second is up. So, if you would give up the counselor, raise your hand. I mean, you, you, you have to land only with three. So, if a few of you are giving up on the counselor, so the rest of you in this room seems like need a counselor. Good. Mighty God. Who of you would give up the mighty God? Uh-oh. Just, just, just a handful. I congratulate you. How about everlasting father? How many of you raise your hand? You'll give up on that everlasting father idea. A handful. How about prince of peace? More of you will give up on the Prince of Peace. Uh-oh, whoever is preaching next week <laughs> is going to have to make a good case for the Prince of Peace, right? Well, I suspect that um, 
It's very difficult to give up on the everlasting father. Because the everlasting father is the figure, the representation, the person who is able to meet our most deep needs. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you can get a lot of counsel, but it comes to a point where you need something else than counsel, right? Tammy said amen. <laughs> so I, w- I would venture to say that having a father, a good father, is like up there on the list of our basic needs, right? But I want to tell you today um, that according, according to the um, Associ- American Association of Child Development and Development for the Child, I just made that up. They said that the number one most basic need an infant has from the moment they grow up uh, is the iPad. (laughs) So forget the food, forget nourishment. Don't even worry about setting up a college fund for your children because really all they need is the iPad. Seriously, what we need the most comes down like to five things. We need to be cared for. We need provision. We need to be provided for. And there are so many things we could put on that list of provision, right? We need to be protected. We live in a world that is broken and in decay. And so we're always vulnerable. And therefore, we, we need protection for, from so many things, right? We need guidance. We need, we need someone to tell us how to live and guide us in the moments when we feel the most confused, the most uncertain, the most clueless about life but we also need discipline discipline is a good thing discipline is biblically speaking at the center of who the father is in fact you you survey the old testament and the new testament and you see a father who refuses to leave us where we're at he's always thinking about our transformation our growth are maturing, and so he is concerned about discipline in our lives. Now, to all of that, you add the permanency of God. Everlasting Father means he's permanent. He has not gone anywhere. He has not turned his eye to the other side or the other way. The everlasting Father is always present he is present to care for you to provide for you to protect you to guide you to form you or to discipline you now it's interesting that the people of israel in the midst of their circumstances if we could say bottom line issue with the people of israel is they took 
their care, their provision, their protection, their guidance, and their discipline in their own hands, and they end up living like orphans. How many of us live like that? There are days when we live more like orphans than like children of the everlasting Father, right? A situation comes up, and who's the first person we think about? Me. What's my best idea? A provision need comes up, and we say, well, we got to work harder. We're going to have to get that extra job. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do that, and we devise a plan. Some of us may sometimes even spend sleepless nights worrying about where provision is going to come from, worrying about what the future choices of our children are going to be. So we, we are familiar with this idea of living like orphans. And you could say we live like orphans when instead of looking to God, the everlasting Father, to be our life, we seek other means, other strategies. We trust in other than God to come and help us. So what I want to do this morning is kind of look at the Christmas story since we are in Advent, and see where do we see or how do we see the activity of the everlasting Father in the Christmas story. And I think when you read the Christmas story in the upcoming days or weeks, I want to encourage you to look for the everlasting Father in that story. So let's begin. In Luke 1, 33... When the angel came to announce to Mary, the Virgin Mary, that she was going to have a child, one of the things that the angel announces is that this child will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So that's the first glimpse we get. Wow, the everlasting Father is not interested in temporary things. When the everlasting Father creates something, he establishes that for eternity. And he establishes that being his son who has been promised to us to reign forever. Let's continue. As Mary is interacting with the angel, she says to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the angel is kind of saying to Mary, Mary, make no mistake. The everlasting Father is going to provide miraculously a child inside your womb. And not only that, he's already doing that and your old relative called old Baron Elizabeth. And she too is with child. Then as you continue moving on, you see the father's heart, the everlasting father heart shows up with tenderness when the angel says, you have found favor 
with God. Have you ever had those moments as a dad where you look at your daughter or your son and you just feel this overwhelming sense in your heart where you said, I am pleased with you. I am so pleased with you right now. Granted, there are moments as dads when we would not say that, but there are moments when we experience that. And Mary experiences the everlasting father through the message of the angel as he says to her, you are favored by God. Let's look at Joseph. When Joseph is wrestling with this idea that his future wife is with child, this is what we know. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Does that sound like a good intentions and everything? But Joseph is about to take matters into his hands the best way he can. In that moment, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The everlasting Father steps in to guide, to protect his purposes over this Messiah that he is sending to the world. And he does that so personally that he addresses Joseph's concerns. It happens another time. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Herod had ordered a census. And so Joseph has to take Mary with him along, and they go to Bethlehem. If you are like me, and my wife would like to watch the Nativity Story movie every year without fault. And one of the pictures you get in that movie is the journey. It's not an easy journey, right? It's a dangerous journey. And we can see how God, the everlasting Father, protects Joseph and Mary to lead them to their destination. Not only that. But when the time comes for baby Jesus to be born, there is no Expedia, no pre-book in, no pre-scheduled hotel. There is no place for Jesus to be born. But somehow the everlasting Father provides a place in the midst of this confusing time and desperate moments to provide a manger, a stable, a place where Jesus would be born. It gets even better. When they had gone, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is after the baby was born. The angel said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Again, Herod had ordered the slaughtering of the infants. And right at the right time, through a dream, Joseph gets the message from the everlasting father who is caring, protecting, guiding, and providing a place where they are to go. What about the Magi? We have three Magi, right, who found the baby, worshipped the baby, and they had been instructed by Herod to go back to him and inform him where this baby was at so that they also could go and worship him. And so being warned in a dream, the, Ma the Magi hear that they should not return to Herod. That they and so they departed into their own country another way. Do you see how the everlasting Father shows up everywhere? He is permanent. He is present. He's caring. He's providing. He's protecting. And he's guiding. There's one more conversation I haven't told you about. This guy is Zechariah. This is Elizabeth's husband. Who also miraculously is expecting a child. By the power of God. Zechariah goes to the temple. As is the custom to serve. And God gives a message to him. Announcing the birth of John the Baptist, who was going to prepare the way for Jesus. But when, Je when Zechariah hears the message, he was full, filled with unbelief. And so God tenderly and lovingly stretches out his hand and disciplines Zechariah and mutes him so that he is unable to speak during the whole period of the pregnancy. See, the Father, the everlasting Father, thinks about e he thinks about every aspect of our life. The everlasting Father carries in his heart his caring heart, his providing, his protection, his guidance, and his discipline for us. Now, you may be saying, Diego, I see the everlasting Father in action. But what does it mean for Jesus to be the everlasting Father? Does that match? Is that confusing? Why would we call Jesus the everlasting Father? Well, I'm borrowing from uh, another pastor in Illinois. His name is David Sunday. This quote where he says, the Messiah, Jesus is the only one who can reveal God's fatherly character to us. For he is one in nature and essence with the Father. See, Jesus claimed during his earthly ministry on earth, many times he claimed, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That was one of his claims. And so it should not be confusing in our head to even grasp the idea that Jesus 
the born child to us can claim that he is the everlasting father because he came to reveal the father and he is the essence of the father. In, in the gospel of John, during the celebration of Hanukkah, and thanks for, to Pastor Greg who told me about this fact, uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus is about to make couple of declarations that are very significant and affirm the question of can Jesus really claim that he is the everlasting father? During the celebration of Hanukkah, which happens around this time in our current day, um, they were celebrating, the Jews were celebrating the re-dedication uh, of the temple. And it is during that fest, that festival, that Jesus makes this claim. He says, I and the Father are one. And it is that claim that causes the Jews to call him blasphemous. They said, how can you say that? But Jesus goes on to say, listen, if you don't believe my claim, at least believe the works I do. Look at the works, the miracles, and the works that I have done. And if, if you don't believe my claims, at least believe me because of the works that I am able to do. And that is the claim. I and the Father are one. Later on, the same, the same apostle who wrote the book of John, in the first letter to John, of John, we hear this beautiful testimony. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Before John writes that whole epistle, and then the second and the third, he says, we are giving witness, because we saw with our own eyes this Jesus and you can trust the claims of this letter. Because this Jesus was the eternal life who existed before time. And this eternal life was with the Father before time and has been manifested to us in flesh and bone. So you see, Jesus can claim that. The prophecy affirms what Jesus claims. That when he, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. That when we see him as the everlasting Father, we're seeing God the Father as the everlasting Father. So Jesus reveals the essence and the character of, of, of God the Father. But he also is a father to us. Let me show you how that shows up in the biblical narrative. Jesus cares as the everlasting father when he welcomes the little children. And he says, let them come to me. Because the kingdom belongs to such as these. We can see the caring heart of, the, of Jesus as the everlasting father 
when he learns that Lazarus has died, and he weeps over that because he cares. Then we also see Jesus standing and looking at the multitudes, and it says that Jesus was filled with compassion because when he saw the multitudes, he saw thousands of people being harassed and without a shepherd. And it is in that moment that he turns to his disciples and he asks them or offers them a prayer request. He says to them, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers because he cares. Then we also see Jesus caring about demon-possessed people, people who have been enslaved for most of their life, trapped in a destruction path, and Jesus approaches them, and he brings deliverance to them. We also see Jesus, the everlasting Father, protecting. He cares about protecting his disciples in the middle of the storm. We also see Jesus providing 5,000 people, not once, but more than once, where he turns to his disciples and says to them, you feed them. We're not sending them home. 5,100 bellies. And Jesus takes five loaves of bread, two fish, multiplies them, and feeds them. He is able to provide. We also know Jesus, as well described in the book of Psalm in chapter 23, where we know about the good shepherd, right, who guides. The good shepherd who knows when we need to be led to green pastures or when we need to be led to quiet waters, when we need to be anointed in the presence of our enemies, when do we need hope and protection when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death? That's Jesus. And we also see Jesus guiding when he is interacting with the woman at the well, according to John chapter 4. And after he hears and reveals her story, he basically reorients her whole outlook in life to the point that she becomes a witness to her village. Jesus guides. He's able to reorient us when we are most confused. But Jesus also disciplines. You remember the story of the woman caught in adultery? After Jesus offers grace and forgiveness and dismisses the accusers, he says to the woman, go and sin no more. We need to be clear on that. Jesus, the everlasting Father, will come graciously to our lives and there will be forgiveness for us and there will be restoration for us. But he would also bring loving discipline where he would call us to repentance. We also see Jesus in the temple. He is indignified. He is angry because he sees that the temple have been turned into a place for robbers and thieves 
and there is no concern for the desires of the everlasting Father. So he gets angry, and he shows his discipline by overthrowing the tables and rebuking the people. So this Advent season is a great opportunity to remind ourselves that this Jesus, whom we celebrate, anticipate, and worship, is the one who always cares, is the one who always provides. He's the one who always protects. He's the, the one who always guides. He's the one who always disciplines. What is your current situation? How do you need Jesus, the everlasting Father, to care for you, to provide for you, to protect you, to guide you, and to discipline you? And I wonder even when you, when you hear that question, what, what barriers, what walls may come up for you? Because let's be frank. Some of us have a fatherly filter that is very distorted. Some of us approach God, the everlasting Father, through the filter of a very poor experience with our earthly fathers. And that is sad. And I know it's real for some of you. Where you would say, Diego, my father was abusive. My father didn't care. The only person he cared about or for was himself. My father abandoned me. My father was not permanent. My father didn't provide. My father didn't protect my mom or us kids when he needed to do so. And I understand that that filter distorts often our tendency or our view of our everlasting heavenly father. But I want to tell you this morning, the everlasting father wants to reveal himself to you in a way that you will be able to respond to him, not the way you would respond to your earthly father, but the way you would respond to a father who reveals to you in ways that will blow your mind away. And so I encourage you, I exhort you, if, if, if you are that person, give God the opportunity to reveal himself to you the way he is, not the way your father is or was. Because this everlasting father is permanent. Now, one way to access that father is, one way to access the everlasting father is through Jesus. The same person we are celebrating, the same person promised to us on that manger, on that stable, is the one who is going to give us access. Um, on John, in John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, 
This is another claim of Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in, in Hebrews 13, we can put the two together and understand why Jesus can say that. The reason Jesus can say that he's the only way to the Father is because Jesus is the baby who brings with him a different blood. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior promised to us, who brings the kind of blood that he will shed to seal the eternal covenant with the Father. And the only way to be established in a covenant with our Heavenly Father is through the blood that this baby Jesus one day was to shed for us. Apart from the blood, the, the blood of the eternal covenant that Jesus sheds on the cross, we got no chance to access the Father. None. Without the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That was what God proclaimed long time ago. And at the due time, he says, I got good news for you. I'm going to introduce the one who's going to give you access. And so when we think about Jesus and the crib, we can think of Jesus at the cross because he is going to pour that eternal blood that is going to seal that covenant. So the only way to access and to be firmly established in a covenant with the everlasting Father is through the blood Jesus came to shed. So I have a question for you. Does the way you live your daily life reflect a deep trust in your everlasting Father? Or does the way you live your daily life reflects the kind of person who is filled with panic, anxiety, sleepless nights, inability to be intimate in relationships because you have to protect yourself, your world, and your life? How do you live your life? I can tell you from my own experience, years ago when my father passed away and it came time for us to take his body back to South America to bury him, I dreaded the idea. And yet I knew it was the best plan because it was what God wanted us as a family to do. And I remember dreading the day I was gonna board that plane and spend those days in Colombia, South America. And I remember as I, as I prayed and, and sought God sincerely, God came and spoke to me and he said, Diego, my presence will be with you. And wherever, wherever I am, you get everything I am. And that's the everlasting Father I experienced during those days. 
He cared for me. He he protected me. He provided for me. He guided me. He disciplined me through the process. That's the everlasting father. He is permanent. And when he promises to be there, you get everything he is. So I have a friend who is going to sing a song for us. You don't know that song Emily is going to sing. But while she's singing that song, I would like to encourage you to think about the question, do I trust him to care for me, to provide for me, to protect me, to guide me, to discipline me?
And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a simple hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They never toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, then tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we are legitimately concerned about clothes and food and shelter. But I want to tell you today, the hope that Jesus brings goes beyond the provision of those things. Jesus has a word for us today. And that word is simply this. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So my prayer is that something in, of faith in our hearts will be stirred up today. And that our faith will rise up for bigger things. Bigger things than clothing, food, health, work, shelter. Because the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. And so this Christmas, as you consider Jesus, the everlasting Father who cares, who provides, who protects, who guides, who disciplines because he loves you, consider that he has such a wonderful gift for us, the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father... I ask for your grace. I ask that you will help us so that we will catch the revelation of the everlasting Father. The one who cares, provides, protects, guides, and disciplines, and is always permanent. I pray that you will come and that you will reveal yourself 
the everlasting Father through each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing of the love of God. Serve it, still you can. 
shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't tear down coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me
we don't deserve it, we couldn't earn it. It, it is that truth that separates Christianity from all other forms of religion on the planet. That there is an extravagant love of the Father that does for us what we could never do. Amen. We, we couldn't earn it and we don't deserve it. That's the heart of an everlasting Father. Amen. That's the God of the Old Testament. That's the God of the New Testament. That's how Jesus makes himself known. So the question Diego asked, does the way you live your daily life reflect a deep trust in an everlasting father? Or do we live as orphans? Or do we live as those who are not cared for, those who lack provision, those who are unprotected, living without guidance, or have no discipline? And I, and I gotta tell you, and we wrestle with this as a church, we wrestle with the orphan spirit, right? We, we wrestle with the truth that that we are cared for. Think, if you would, for a moment, how often you're in a conversation and what you're striving for in that conversation is value me. I need to be cared for. I need to be valued. I, I have worth. Would, would you pay attention to that? We're living as orphans. How, how, often do we, how often do we live as if God is not going to provide so we therefore must overwork we have to strive, we have to figure it out because we don't have an everlasting father that's bringing provision. Or we, or we live as if we're unprotected, right? So, so we won't allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We won't move into certain relationships or enter into certain communities, right? Because well, we're, not, we're not protected and we have to protect ourselves. Or we live as if we're uncounseled that we don't, we, like, we have to have the wheels of our mind ever spinning to figure everything out because we don't have the Spirit of God counseling us. Often we live as if we're orphans. Or when God tries to bring discipline, we despise the discipline of God. And we think God's not present when in reality he's disciplining us. And the very things he's using to discipline are the things that would demonstrate that he's present in our lives, but we reject it, say, oh, God wouldn't discipline. Yes, he does. He's a good father. So I'm gonna have our prayer people come up, spread out all the way across here, please, prayer people. Um, and if you're not sure if you're a prayer person or not, you are today, please come up. Because what I want to do is I want to give uh, I want to give people an opportunity not simply to respond to, uh, I, I believe in the everlasting Father, but, but I want to put that list back up on the screen that's working, right? I, I want us to look for, um, I want us to pray over, I am wrestling to believe that he cares for me. I am wrestling to believe that he provides for me. I'm wrestling to believe that I am protected, that the Holy Spirit guides me, that he is a wonderful counselor. I'm wrestling to believe that he's good in his discipline. So 
I want to invite you to, you know, Jesus had that interaction with, with the mayor said, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's us, right? So we would believe Jesus is an everlasting father. Yep, I believe it. But, but like on a day-to-day basis, do you believe that he cares for you? He provides for you. He protects you. He guides or counsels you and he disciplines you. So we wrestle with that. So what I want you to do is before you leave, take the time to say, hey, I'm wrestling with this truth. Would you pray for me? Would you pray that there would be breakthrough of faith in this truth about Jesus as everlasting father? All right. So so that's how we're going to end our service. Uh, uh, Abby and Ryan are going to sing. Oh, come, oh, come again. If you guys could just sing that on the softer side so that there's people can receive prayer. So if you would be respectful of those who want to come forward and receive prayer over one of these areas, uh, and those of you who, uh, if you want to just sit, pray for each other, that's fine. Or if you're going to be dismissed, make sure you take some time and do those faith talk questions a little bit later today. Spend time with this very profound truth. So let me pray over us. Father, Everlasting Father, I pray that we, your church in this area, our little outpost of the kingdom of God, I pray against an orphan spirit, a a mindset or a spirit that does not believe that you care for us or does not believe that you are going to provide in this moment or or you will leave us in this situation without counsel. God, I pray against an orphan spirit. I pray against us believing in you as father based on the bad examples we've seen and experienced instead of how Jesus, you have made the father known to us. May we be people of your word, of your truth. And I pray that the good examples of fatherhood that we've been able to see or experience would simply point to the beauty of you, Jesus. So I pray that we would be a group of people that know you, Jesus, as our everlasting father. And may we live in the boldness and the joy of that truth. So Jesus, be glorified by our faith in you as everlasting father. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So feel free to come forward to receive prayer on any of these uh, or to make your way out quietly. God bless you.
Shut